Welcome to Movie Maker Interviews. My name is Tim Malloy, and today our wonderful guests are Dan Stevens and Sheila Vand, stars of The Rental. I really dug this movie. The Rental, the directorial debut from Dave Franco, is about two couples who find a beautiful vacation rental that isn't as idyllic as it seems. There's a very engrossing build in the script when it really caught me. Things get almost impossibly suspenseful, and one of the reasons it's so effective is because of Stevens and Van's very grounded performances and tense, can't-look-away dynamic. You know Van from Argo and A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and the recent Triple Frontier, and you know Stevens from Downton Abbey and Beauty and the Beast and his very funny recent turn in Eurovision Song Contest, which we unfortunately did not talk about at all. The rental also stars Alison Brie and Jeremy Allen White, and it's now in select theaters and drive-ins and on demand. Personally, I watched a screener of the film on a phone, and it really did work. But ideally, I'd see it at a drive-in on a chilly night. Sit outside the car. And now, Sheila Van and Dan Stevens talking about the rental. Well, Dan Stevens, Sheila Van, I thought your movie was absolutely terrific. Thank you. Thank you. How did you both get involved with it? Sheila, you first. I think you were before me. I wasn't, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I remember that Dan and Alison Brie were, I believe, both attached by the time Dave was reaching out to me. And it was one of the big reasons why I wanted to do the movie was because I was big fans of you guys. And um, I've kind of come to learn that, you know, it's the people I work with and the scripts, of course, that seem to make the experience the most. So it mattered to me a lot that, that the people who he had already brought on board were like so classy and such amazing actors. And basically Dave like really vetted me very hard. I got kind of like six different messages from mutual friends saying, Dave Franco is trying to get in contact with you. And uh, it meant a lot to me because I could tell he was really doing his due diligence. And it actually, uh, it made me confident that everyone else he was bringing on board was gonna be really top notch. Cause, Cause I could see that he was, he was really putting in the work to make sure Everybody was a down-to-earth person, good to work with, good people. And so, yeah, we finally connected through these mutual friends, had a dinner in Brooklyn, and um, and that was it. He, he just he just uh, offered it to me, and which also meant a lot to me because it's still kind of a new point in my journey to not have to audition, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think I'm pretty sure Dave told me that you were already on board when we spoke. So he was obviously playing us off against each other. Um, yeah, I could feel that it was uh, it was coming together in a really cool way. I'm always very supportive of first-time directors and particularly actors turn directors and always intrigued to see what that's going to be like. Um, and as somebody who who has, you know, half an eye to maybe directing one day myself, you know, I'm, I'm very supportive of that project. And, and uh, you know, I could tell that this was going to be an interesting one. Do you both have an eye toward directing? Does that go for both of you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've made some of my own original works that are uh, more in the realm of like performance and theater. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's something I really want to get back to. And I'm always encouraged when I see other actors do it and do it so well. Um, so I also, yeah, I think it's so important to support first time filmmakers. And um, I, yeah, I want I for sure want to do it one day. I can't wait to do it. That's like the next, the next goal. And I'm going to be in it. 
So what was it that attracted you to this project? It's kind of a very grounded, very human horror story about, I don't want to say Airbnb specifically, but vacation rentals. Did you have any experience with vacation rentals or anything like that that made you interested in this, or was it kind of the bigger ideas? For me, it was the bigger ideas. You know, I had a really, really interesting chat with with Dave. Um, you know, I think, first of all, it's, it's kind of surprising that, you know, a lot of people expected him to do a comedy coming out of the gate as a director, and, you know, he, he had his heart set on this on this genre. And, uh, you know, I think like a lot of, a lot of great horror genres, it, it kind of comes, it preys on people's paranoid fears and you know i think the the issues of of trust amongst people you know the fact that we now live in a world where you can just click on an app and go and get somebody's house keys and just hang out in their home and <laughs> behave in ways that you might not uh, in your own home um and also the idea of just total surveillance is is pretty um you know it's pretty terrifying and feeds a lot of people's paranoia so you know mashing those ideas together um you know keeping it fairly uh, small scale, you know, I think having this very contained, uh, contained idea with a small cast made it very, very appealing, but, but the ideas kind of feeding into the, the paranoia and fear behind it were, were really cool and engaging. Yeah. Yeah. It's this, I agree with all of that, but also the specific fear of being spied on is one of my worst fears. Mm. <laughs> and it may be because of the fact that I, I actually do stay in short-term rentals often because I'm just such a gypsy and have to move around a lot for work. And um, that was part of the reason that I wanted to do it because it was a legitimate fear of mine, something that actually scared me. And sometimes the way I work through my fear is by going all the way towards it mm. and kind of excavating it out of my body. And it felt like maybe if I enacted the actual possibility of all of this, it would, it would almost help me with my fear. I'm not sure if it did or it didn't. Uh, but what's cool about the film too is it's not even a it's not a rental host who is actually you know what I'm not going to say <laughs> I'm not sure how much to spoil or not spoil but yeah there's just so much I love the paranoia that devolves between these relationships into a complete horror and I loved that Dave wanted to make a horror movie that had developed relationships and that was just as much about what was going on on an interpersonal level between these people as what was going on with these horror movie elements. Yeah. Barry Jenkins talked to Dave uh, for a feature for us a couple of days ago, and he made the best observation about this movie where, especially in the first half, there's kind of an interrogation. I'm trying to get his words right. I think he called it an interrogation of whiteness where Sheila, your character tries to book a rental, um, can't book the rental, and then a white person tries to book the rental and has complete success. And then the rental host says some sort of dicey racial things that are definitely throw his motives into question. Did you see it as an interrogation of whiteness or as a, um, as a look at kind of xenophobia? Or was, it, was that just another element of the horror? Well, I was really glad that it included that, even if I don't you know, think the whole entire movie is about that. But I, was, I thought it did such a good job, actually, of acknowledging some of those racial microaggressions that I've definitely experienced in my real life and acknowledging that my character is Persian American without making it all about her being Persian American. Cause often when I get asked to play Middle Eastern roles, they get suddenly run over with stereotypes. 
And so sometimes I have to do a difficult balancing act between like, I want to represent my cultural background because visibility is important, but I don't like the way I get just defined by that. And I, I thought this movie did such a good job of addressing that, addressing that this was something that she experiences and goes through, um, but without it completely taking over the identity of this character. Yeah. And I also really appreciated besides the fact that they, they made light of that type of microaggression because racism, you know, we're all talking about it on a large collective scale, but of course it's like a vast spectrum of ways one can be racist or experience racism. Um, and so I was happy to see that they, they shed a little bit of light on, on that part of the spectrum. And also, um, well, I lost my train of thought. Um, uh, no, I, th- I- yeah, go ahead. I mean, I, I can I can jump in while you while you uh, <laughs> Thank you. pick up pick up the train, but just uh, just you know further to that, I think it's it was very interesting watching the movie the other night. You know, a, a year since we since we've made it, and and feeling some of those resonances more more strongly, I suppose, in light of of recent larger collective conversations, but also the way in which, particularly, you know, my character Charlie is kind of, you know, he's just sort of gently defensive of it, and and just in the sort of, you know, his his sort of tacit silence really um you know in in kind of you know even even slightly coming to the defense or the potential defense of of this host and and i think that kind of feeds into the into the conversation as well you know there's it's not enough now to just you know not be racist i think you know it's it's about actively being anti-racist and 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 standing up for um you know and against these these you know racial microaggressions um i like that term Sheila, I'm gonna I'm gonna start using that. Well, the, I remembered also what I was gonna say was that I really also appreciated in the moment in the car when they address why didn't Mina's request get accepted, but Charlie's did. I thought Dave did something quite bold and wonderful in that moment where he kept the camera on my character. And I'm not just saying that because it was just more of me, um, but I thought that was an amazing moment where you're hearing these two white guys discussing whether or not this moment was racist and they kind of have all of the words. And yet he chose to, even though Mina didn't have lines in that moment, to stay on her reaction and to stay on what it felt like for her to sit there and let these people kind of parse it out, knowing everything she knows in her body and her life experience. Like I, I just thought that was so wonderful. I feel like usually people cut away and, and they, there's a tendency to just cover lines as they're being said, but Dave chose to stay with Mina there. And I, I think that moment belongs to her. And I, I even appreciated that there was all that mansplaining <laughs> happening. I, I think it's so tricky right now to how do we represent these things without exploiting them or, or reinforcing them. Um, yeah. I think, I thought it was interesting too, to have, you know, characters obviously like, like Toby's character um you know the the guy looking after the house is is a little more is a little further down the the racist spectrum but then you have yeah you know the the, the sort of the more insidious ways that a, a character like Charlie uh can can be part of the problem as well you know we kind of owe the whole sharing economy to the Silicon Valley bro culture um which sharing, which ride shares come out of and home shares come out of. And I thought it was really funny that very early in the movie, um, Charlie, your Dan's character, Charlie, and his brother make a point of making fun of bros, but they kind of maybe are bros. 
Did you did you think he was a bro? I, I mean, they are literally brothers, if that's what you mean. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I mean, there is there is a bit of that going on. Um, I mean, there's there's some gentle digs at all sorts of, uh, of cultures and subcultures within this, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, that was kind of a fun a fun way of, of introducing a bit of levity before things get uh, get really batshit. Sheila, you grew up in Palo Alto, right? Yeah. So you must really know these guys who went on, and they're mostly guys. I'm not, I mean, Silicon Valley is so, you know, disproportionately, unreasonably white and male. Um, you must have known a lot of guys who went on to, like, start their own tech companies and things like that, right? I definitely know some tech bros. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Grew up in the center of it. <laughs> yeah, I think there, um, that was an element that was consciously in there, the sort of bits of classism, uh, the, there's, I think, some tension between Charlie and his brother who makes a lot less money and the judgment of him being an Uber driver. And then there's some comments made with the, the caretaker of the place who is supposed to be more working class. Uh, and again, I appreciate the way Dave was able to address things with and, and then leave them on the table for us to look at and, and not, not necessarily make a movie that is you know, it's still a horror movie. It still has its central plot line. Um, yeah, as far as the tech bros in the Bay Area go, I mean, it's, I live in New York now, and it's a similar thing where it's just they, I'm not sure how much this relates to the movie or not, but the cultural, uh, the way things just completely have changed over the last couple of decades because of the tech boom is set a whole other conversation I can have and, and the way that it, you know, just gentrification and how it pushes people out and, um, Part of also maybe part of the fun of seeing like such privilege just devolve into complete chaos in this movie. Well, there used to be that yuppies in peril genre that was really fun. Um, oh no, this should be in that genre. Uh, yeah, it's kind of coming back, and it's cool because it's not it, the the old version was the yuppies have like a, a housekeeper who terrorizes them or something, and you watch it now and you're like, well, why isn't the housekeeper the good guy? Why are they the <laughs> Um, <laughs> and now, yeah, it does seem like it's switching in an interesting way where the, you're not, you're both very whole characters in that I sympathize with you both, but you also both do things where I'm just yelling at the screen, like, please don't do that. Um, it's a fun movie. <laughs> I don't really have a question there. Well, yeah, our characters do some shady things. Too and there's the the reason why all of the horror gets out of control in this movie is not just one person's fault, and I think that's kind of cool too. There's this like avalanche of errors that are made, and looking at that too of just like how far we'll go to hide our sins. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate too that yeah none of our characters are really perfect. Maybe Michelle is the most innocent <laughs> out of all of us, but. Right. I personally love playing flawed characters. And that's another thing that I find difficult, like, you know, so something that's interesting that's going on right now in movie making is how do we represent people who are flawed, people who maybe are villainous, again, without glorifying them. It's, it's just something that I'm fascinated by because I feel like, you know, it's not like in this new era we're in where we're all sensitive and woke to the things we really need to be sensitive towards. I don't think that needs to mean that we just have, now we can only make you know, a certain type of movie. I, I want to believe art can continue to push boundaries. And um, 
I, 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 yeah, it's just something that I'm interested in. I think we, we, we dabbled in it in this movie for sure. Also, you know, to have a character who, you know, like, like Charlie and, and, uh, and the others really, but particularly Charlie who, who initially seems to be pretty spotless and, and just sort of a normal, nice guy. And to have that perception slowly unravel, um, and just sort of, it just becomes increasingly awful. And, you know, and there's sort of the initial red flags uh, in the car, you know, like I say, when he's a little, little too uh, defensive of, of this potentially racist uh, homeowner. Um, but then, you know, things kind of build and just get a little bit worse, a little bit worse, and until, you know, um, things are really bad. But I love, I love, you know, characters where you're able to kind of subvert that uh, expectation a little bit. You know, I have a very Dan-specific question um, in that you have kind of a strange thing going in that your British characters seem to me very warm and very likable, and your American characters seem very kind of cold and analytical and a little scary. I mean, between this movie and Legion, is that a critique on Americans? And it's okay if it is. <laughs> not, not explicitly, and I've definitely got some awful Brits uh, uh, up my sleeve or, or uh, you know, due to come out. They're, they're, yeah, um, there have been a few. No, uh, that's that's not deliberate on my part. I think that's just, uh, I don't know, you're maybe reading too much into that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's my self-consciousness about my, my country. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so can you both talk about how you choose whether there's any through line in the roles that you choose and what you look for in scripts and to add a second part to that already big question, um, will that change with COVID-19 and with the size of productions and things like that? Good question. Um, Sheila? Go ahead. <laughs> Shall I start? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm always looking for, for variety and, you know, different things to disappear into. Um, you know, usually it's it's based on on the role and the writing. Sometimes it'll just be the the idea of a project, um, you know, that, that draws me to it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, at, at the moment, it's it's pretty fascinating to seeing you know what what is possible going forward, what we what what it is possible to make in the next year. Um, you know, I was in the middle of a, of a Broadway show when this all went down, yeah. so obviously, you know that. The breaks are on that pretty hard at the moment, um, but you know it's 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 fascinating to see the, the strength of desire to both make and receive new work, and and um, you know how we're gonna how we're gonna interpret things going forward is you know it's obviously a massive question. Um, you know we're unlikely to be able to make something um, like the rental, you know, in the next year, I, I guess. Um, although. That kind of you know small crew in isolation somewhere in Oregon, maybe that you know that that kind of pr production can still happen. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a, a huge question on everyone's lips at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I um just as far as I guess in general choosing things like similarly, I of course the role matters a lot in the script, but more and more as I get older, I realize how much the people matter, and I've done things that I have thought were, you know, not perfect, but it was a person I really wanted to work with or support. And um, just because, yeah, I just, as I've, as I've moved through this industry, I've found how important process is and that even great movies come and go and, and they, they get, 
I just have found that the relationships I've built in the community I've built is, is actually just as important to me, even though I still want to be making great things all the time. Um, and I also just more and more in the last few years too will choose things also, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I definitely will, I'm more likely to say yes to a female filmmaker or a filmmaker of color mm-hmm. um, because I want to support them. I want to push that forward. Um, and I and I also really like variety. I love doing a role I've never done before. Like if I've already feel like I've played that part, it's going to be hard to get me to do it again. Um, but I'm also still like, I don't know, in a place where I'm trying to be seen um, as much as I personally think I deserve to be seen. Yeah. And some of that is the learning curve of like all of this stuff, diversity and inclusion. And um, so sometimes I'm like, oh, I, I pick projects like this. I want to pick projects like that. And I'm like, fact of the matter is I'm, first it starts with what projects are even coming to my table. <laughs> so working on increasing that load so that I can, um, because, uh, but then as far as COVID-19 and all that, I just like, I, I have, I don't know if it's content wise going to change what we do, or if it's more like we just have to wait for the vaccine and maybe it's not the end of the damn world for us to take a year off. I, I say that, of course, I know people's lives depend on it. I feel very lucky and privileged that I can take a year off, but, yeah. um, we're already halfway through that year. I mean, I guess I'm assuming we're going to get this vaccine <laughs> uh, early next year. Maybe that's naive, but I do think we need to make sure we're, we are we are completely safe before we do that. But as far as like, is it going to be okay to make a movie where more than two people are in a room? Like, I think yes. I think that, um, of course, we have to be sensitive to like what we're perpetuating and the society around us, but it feels like there are way bigger diseases in our culture that we can already begin to address. If I'm not, I don't know, none of us know, but it seems like COVID-19 is a relatively temporary one compared to gun control, uh, Black Lives Matter, voter suppression, like so much happening right now that if we're gonna talk about like, well, can we show a movie where someone's less than six feet apart from each other? There's other things I think we, we better also be, <laughs> you know, putting in that pot of, how we make movies that are culturally responsible. God, that's a beautiful point. Um, I, I don't think I have a question. Uh, whatever question I ask after this feels like it's going to be very trite after that, after what you just said. Um, so I'll, I'll just hand it over to both of you. Is there anything you'd like to, to close on or anything that we should have talked about that we didn't? I'm, I'm floored by Sheila's answer. That's brilliant. <laughs> I'm just going to go in, take a long, hard look at my life. (laughs) No, I think it's so important we keep telling stories and we keep making art. But I'm also, you know, I'm just digesting that myself because I just, this whole year is, and for a long time, I I, I don't know, you know, like I want to make the world a better place and I'm just trying to understand how much stories do make the world a better place and the ways they have helped me in my life. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I, I hope that movie makers just keep on doing it and we keep having conversations easy and difficult. Well, whatever, maybe not easy. Um, just kind of rambling now, but I also hope to bring it back to the rental that this is a fun escape for people too, because yeah. that's something we need sometimes too. And a horror movie is always fun in the summertime. Hey, it's Tim. 
I want to first thank you for listening this far. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I obviously did. And since we're all still here, I thought I would pitch you on a few things that I think you might find valuable, entertaining, interesting, you know. First, if you're a filmmaker and you're trying to make a movie in these ridiculous times, you have a budget of $10,000 or more and you want to double it, contact Movie Maker Production Services. We can help you complete your film. Just email tim at moviemaker.com or DM at moviemakermag to see if your project qualifies. Second, we're starting a little podcast network here at Movie Maker. Not like Gimlet or whatever, but, you know, we do the best we can. <laughs> the first thing I want to tell you to check out is The Industry by my friend Dan Delgado. This is a show that is so stupefyingly entertaining. I don't know where to start. Dan finds just the weirdest decisions that Hollywood has ever made. All the things that make you say, what were they thinking? And really digs deep to find out the stories behind them. His latest episode is about something called Blood Circus, which was a wrestling, rock and roll, aliens, free gold event in Baltimore in 1985. Uh, it went absolutely as bonkers as you would expect and the whole thing was covered by a newspaper reporter i used to be a newspaper reporter a newspaper reporter for the baltimore sun named david simon who of course went on to create the wire one of the best shows ever that's the kind of stuff that dan discovers he's truly digging for gold and real gold not like the fake gold that they were handing out at the blood circus also I do a podcast called Low Key with my friends Aaron Lanton and Keith Benny, where every week we pick a different TV show or movie, and then we really dive into it from a racial, gender, political, religious standpoint, and try to find all the sort of hidden subtext that we think other people have missed. These are conversations between friends. This isn't us trying to score or anything like that. We don't do takes. We have real conversations, and we occasionally change each other's minds. In the latest episode of Low Key, we talk about mucho, mucho, amor, the legend of Walter Mercado, a Netflix documentary that we really enjoyed, but we do kind of wonder if Walter Mercado is getting the Michael Jordan soft glove last dance treatment. Uh, you'll see where we land on that one. There's also a story for me about the time I almost, but didn't, meet Lando Calrissian himself, Billy D. Williams. That's the Low Key Podcast. I hope you'll check it out, as well as the industry. This is Movie Maker Interviews. Thank you very much for listening, and see you next week.